are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers, brought to you by Cooler Partners, a digital marketing agency made for manufacturers. I'm your co-host, Jeff White, and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, what's going on? Uh, well, I'm recording a podcast with you, Jeff. And, we are indeed. Uh, yeah, indeed. And, and uh, look, excited to be... Uh, uh, I think checking off a few boxes in today's episode yeah. uh, with any luck at all. Um, uh, I, I, I know that um, a, a good number of our listeners, um, uh, it was certainly a, a big dynamic in the manufacturing marketing space is this uh, dynamic of uh, basically working within the the U.S. arm of a, a German-owned manufacturing entity. Or otherwise international. Otherwise international, but but often, often European German uh, is a big uh, part of it, and 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 there's some um, uh, you know ways of doing business, and um, and, and in in some way uh, a restriction often placed on the marketers there that I think many of them find challenging. And I think today's guest is going to shed some light on on navigating those waters. So excited about that, um, and uh, and and also. I think a really interesting story of uh, of digital transformation so far. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, excited to dive into it. So, joining us today is John Laporta. John is the Vice President Marketing at Fannenberg USA. John, welcome to the Cooler Ring. Hey, thanks for having me, John. It's it's a, it's a real pleasure to be chatting with you. And I, I, I wonder if we might start with just a uh, uh, an overview uh, of of the company uh, briefly, and uh, and then tell us a bit about yourself as well. Yeah, sure. So Fannenberg is an international company. Uh, we're known in the space of thermal management for electrical enclosures. Uh, we developed the original filter fan, which is designed to cool the electrical components inside of electrical cabinets. Um, and the reason that is so critical is modern day automation and manufacturing uh, is driven behind electronics. Electronics have their happy space in a certain temperature range, and our products help manage that temperature and that atmosphere uh, to keep the electronics happy inside electrical enclosures. We also have a product line that's becoming more uh, popular here in the U.S. that we brought over from Europe, and that's our signaling line. And our signaling products for alarm, warning, and indication events are a product line that we're beginning to see some traction here in the U.S. for, and it ties nicely with our thermal management products as they're found in many of the same facilities. Um, Fannenberg is a German-owned company. We have manufacturing facilities uh, throughout the world and sales offices throughout the world. I am located here at our U.S. manufacturing headquarters outside of Buffalo, New York. Very cool. And how long have you been with the company, John? I've been with the company uh, over seven years now. I came from a world, um, I was with the agency world for a long time, and my days, as many people in the agency world probably can relate to, were... um, just-in-time on-demand projects that were, you know, working your teams unpredictably, you know, 80 plus hours a week for stints at a time. Um, But one of the cool things about the company I had worked with is we were definitely big on exploring technology and how to make our lives and our jobs easier using technology. So I do have a a creative director background. Um, I was also director of sales and marketing for a time. And uh, I was brought on board here uh, to Fannenberg, taking a little bit of a different approach at looking at the marketing side of things first from maybe like a creative mindset, um, but then taking my experience with the sales and marketing aspects and putting all three of those together. 
Um, so uh, that was one of the main reasons that I was brought on board was to maybe look at things a little differently and to provide some a bit of autonomy here in the U.S. Um, while still working closely with my German colleagues. Uh, that's interesting that there was a drive to actually put the resources in place to enable that level of autonomy. Um, From the get-go. Yeah, versus yeah. even working counter to it, frankly, would be more common. Yeah, and, and I mean, you're, you're something, your skill set and experience, uh, you know, certainly something of a of a unicorn. It's like finding um, designers who can code, you know, <laughs> like, Makes it hard to expand your team with yourself. Right, right. I can code a little. I I, I can code a little bit too. I don't want to admit that, but I can code a little bit too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Look, that's a. I only have one really bad example about (laughs) trying to suggest that I can code. I'm not even going to pull it out now because Jeff would make fun of me forever. Do you remember Ning, John? Ning. I'm trying to. I I don't remember that. It was a social network. Builder created by Mark Andreessen, the guy who founded Netscape, and it allowed you to quickly spin up little um, compartmentalized social networks in the in the early days of social media. And Carmen Carmen built one of those sites, and he's very proud of it. Yes, I I stand by it. Um, <laughs> kind of like kind of like a MySpace site, right? Exactly, <laughs> but for a very small group of people to use. John, I wonder. Uh, I mean, let, let's uh, take our listeners through through this in in, in detail. Kind of, how did you um, uh, sequence out um, uh, the transformation um, uh, that's played out? Kind of give us more detail of what it is, and um, and then just how did it? Um, yeah, how, how did it sequence out, and where are you at now? And yeah, so 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 here in the U.S., um, we uh, were growing rapidly. We still are. Um, and one of the challenges I think that was recognized by our parent uh, headquarters in Germany was the markets aren't the same. So the European German market, even from a visual branding standpoint, is much different than what the U.S. market looks for at times. We're, you know, we're more flashy, a little more commercial looking. Um, so one of the things I was brought on to do was kind of take a look at all of the Marcom materials, basically, you know, when I started and how do we rebrand some of this staying within the corporate guidelines, but having some flexibility to make it more appealing to the U S market. So that was kind of like the first transformation. And that came along with, you know, taking the website that we had had and, and, and working with our sales team, trying to understand from our customers, how we could build a better experience on the website. And uh, I think where people sometimes got hung up a lot is there, there was always this conversation of B2B. And I, and I said, okay, well, that's great. That's, that's fair. But there's still people buying. So why can't we think of it more as a B2C transaction still, even though it's B2B? And then we also had, uh, as part of our salesman, we, we have reps. And for me, another big portion of, of what I felt our success would be built upon is how do we educate our rep team to be as knowledgeable as our sometimes our inside application engineers so that they're the face of Fannenberg to our customers many times. So how can we also take some of that similar messaging that we're using for our customers, but then take that and expand it even further for our rep team? Because in a sense, they're almost like customers. They have to know the products and they have to be able to find things just as efficiently as well. So what did that tactically look like? I mean, I guess, how did you bend to the task of educating the rep team uh, with that kind of new market focused language? Well, the first thing I had to do, which was a bit of a challenge for me was I came from a world where I worked with multiple Fannenbergs in a year, we'll say, Man- different manufacturing companies on different small products, 
or projects. So I had to learn much about a company pretty quickly. So one of the things when I came on board here that was really helpful was I worked very closely with our application engineers and tried to be a sponge and soak things up as much as I could. And when they fed me very technical, detailed information, I would make them stop and say, okay, I'm just the marketing dummy. You have to, you have to bring this down. We have to talk in street language here. So, so re-explain this to me in a way that I can understand it. And using that approach, I took that same approach and I pushed that um, to the reps. So I, I said, you know, maybe we're assuming that our customers and our reps really are focused on a highly technical conversation, but in, in a sense, maybe we have to simplify it. So again, this was something that I focused on with our communications, with our messaging. How do we put more of what we do, which is very technical, and try to have a street voice as well as a technical voice for those engineers that may need a technical voice? You know, I think a lot of marketers worry that they... In doing so, they're dumbing it down and doing a disservice or in some way not going to uh, connect with the highly technical buyer. But that clearly just hasn't been your experience. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, we have the team to talk to the really technical folks and our applications engineers. They, they know the technical language, so they can speak to them in the same way. But many times, I don't know if it's always those guys making all the decisions. They're part of the, the the customer journey, but I don't think they're maybe the sole stakeholder. So again, explaining it to uh, a buyer, explaining it to uh, another you know product manager, things like that, and uh, with other companies, sometimes I think maybe it just helps to have a simplified conversation. I always look at it as like you know legal documents when we all have to read and sign legal documents. I don't know about you guys, but for me, every time I read them, I mean, I'm getting better at understanding it, but come on, can't we just say what we really want to say and be done with it? <laughs> you do feel like you're, you have to almost like you're playing lawyer for those 10 minutes that you're reviewing that doc or whatever. Right, it right. It's, it's really much more complicated than it needs to be. And I think to me, that's one of the assumptions is that, you know, maybe we think we're communicating effectively with, with each other, but maybe we just have to step back and, and figure out, are we communicating effectively with, with each, with each other? And, and again, this is my approach that I use um, here at Fannenberg with our sales sales department, with our marketing team is let's maybe take a focus on the human transaction a little bit and, and understand how we can relate more to each other. I love the idea too of just um, frankly uh, leveraging those early conversations you have as a marketer as you're just getting integrated into the organization. Um, and you're meeting with the product engineers, et cetera, or application engineers. And, 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 and you're having to, you know, like you say, you're kind of using that hotel to me, like I'm a two year old, like I'm, I'm just a marketer here, man, it'd be, it's great to maybe hit record on that conversation and then use that and reflect on it later when you're actually building out material, um, be it marketing material or sales, pers- uh, sales, sales enablement material or what have you. Yeah, I mean, there's times. I mean, I can't tell you how many times. I've, even even the the CSO of our company, uh, he's here from the U.S. His name is Blaine Witt. He was one of my early mentors, and uh, he's still with the company. But he had a way of putting things in a way in in, a, in an approach, or when we had discussions, that I could understand the relationships. I could understand the relationships, and I could understand the product needs without the technical jargon, maybe making it muddy. And that really helped me along. Uh, the journey here to, again, improve our Marcom and improve our messaging. And where we're taking that is ultimately to improve the experience our customers have with Vandenberg. So you talked about having um, basically control over the U.S. web presence. And um, and then and I know that you've um, 
taken that and really it moves beyond the web to a more extensive uh, martech stack um i guess uh, take us take us through that a bit i i, I feel like in some ways, um, a lot of marketers would just be envious if they were in, in, in the position that you're in to have control over the web property, frankly, yeah. in the U.S., yeah. um, because not that's not always the case. So um, I think in some ways your story is one of the virtues of that. Sure, sure. Well, what I, what I love about our company is that um, from a team aspect, you know, there are challenges for sure. I mean, anybody who works... Uh, internationally understands the cultural differences sometimes with communication, with with the Marcom, with with how things are done, and I, I won't say that my my time here has not been without that. However, we're having conversation, and and for for me uh, even more recently with my uh, my colleague in Europe, who's overseeing the the um, marketing from and the EMEA side, he comes from a similar background that I have, and. Uh, I think we're starting to see a shift, not only in Germany, but maybe in Europe, where people are understanding that things art world is getting smaller, and maybe some of the assumptions we had that this won't work here is incorrect. And 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 trying things to see if it does work and getting that feedback is really some of the differential. So, so right now, as you pointed out, yes, our Fannenberg.com and our FannenbergUSA.com websites are a bit different, but I am working with my colleague there, and we're working on looking at ways to take a look at our content, how can we align on content and simplify? And then what can we use from each other from a from a branding standpoint to share? And this open communication, I think a lot of companies still struggle with, but I feel pretty good that we're heading down the right path. And uh, in the end, the ultimate goal is it should give our customers globally a better experience because we're, we're, we're trying to implement things that they're telling us. And you've been a pretty early adopter of marketing automation, um, and my guess is is that they're going to at least uh, be learning a bit of of that from you. Yeah, I can actually i can I can jump into that a bit if you'd like. Um, we just recently have rolled out marketing automation uh, overseas from just the U.S. And the little history on that is when uh, when I came on board here, uh, we're a Salesforce company. We were a Salesforce company, still are, but our internal sales team. Uh, not our reps, but our internal sales team, our area sales managers, our customer service teams, our commercial teams, we use Salesforce for our communications and, and, and CRM and tracking of all of our customer interactions. So it was very much an inside system. The problem was when we get leads from our old website, they would come into Salesforce and the area sales managers were responsible for manually following up on every single one of those leads and then copying the rep and then you know, and if they're traveling, if they're on the road, somebody could send in a request for a quote. It might take three or four days before they get answered because the process was not designed for this quick response. Um, and to HubSpot's credit, um, probably my, see, I think we've had HubSpot here for maybe going on five years. I would say we were one of the early B2B adopters. And what really kind of put me over the edge initially for HubSpot was the whole marketing automation. And they had a tool set set up so I could work seamlessly with Salesforce. I could push information out to our rep team as well as give reps access to segmented information. But more importantly, I could automate the entire process of communication to the customer and still give it a human touch and still let all the parties and stakeholders know what was being communicated, but not have to sit there and write an email. 
And you um, mentioned that you're actually using zip code lookup and automatically routing leads based on geography. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So I put together a U.S. post office. I've got one from the site, put together a post office lookup table for the 40,000 plus zip codes we have in the U.S. And when someone comes to our website and fills out a form that are required, we ask them for their zip code and country code. And based on the parameters in there, it can look up a database and pull all the information of who the area sales manager is and then who is their local rep. And it sends them an email introducing everybody to them so that they have immediate uh, conversation, immediate communication. And then it also notifies the rep instantaneously of the request. And on certain levels, it will let the area sales manager know, hey, a a quote request just came in or here's an urgent inquiry, please keep an eye on this. And then we do our best to track it in Salesforce and build opportunities from our reps all the way into our sales team. So are you finding, are you utilizing the closed loop analytics as well from HubSpot and Salesforce to see the percentage of those leads that are actually closing once they're forwarded to an outside rep? Yeah, it, it's a it's a little bit of a challenge. We have certain rules in place as to what gets an opportunity and what doesn't. So it's usually the bigger transactions that I can track more frequently um, versus maybe what we'll call the, the day-to-day stuff that comes in. But I can see that I can see every bit of interaction that the customer has from the initial request all the way through to going to the inside sales team, which I also uh, recently was put in charge of was I, I now also uh, manage our entire inside sales team. So marketing has taken over the role of the uh, external communication as well as the internal communication and messaging and getting closer to the customer through the inside sales team. So I'm overseeing this kind of dual department situation here, which I've been reading more and more companies are starting to shift to. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. Yeah, it's been interesting to see. We, we've certainly seen that a fair bit. Um, and um, the inside sales function being built out uh, within the marketing umbrella versus mm-hmm. the... Um, sales uh, umbrella, typically, typically sales. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I, I think the, the drivers of that decision are interesting to, to think about. I mean, I, I, found, I found some of it just has to do with um, uh, an organizational uh, recognition that uh, maybe the sales leadership wasn't ready to um, uh, move down that path. So let's give it to marketing instead. But no, I think it's I think it's bigger than that. I think really at our at our at least from my viewpoint is we recognize that inside sales had the ear of the customer. And marketing's job is to communicate to the customer. So why not better take what we're hearing from the customers and then understand how we can communicate that back out to the customer? We've certainly seen a lot of um, a, a lot of evidence to support that, and people um, in instances where it is integrated, um, those inside sales uh, conversations driving the content creation agenda, for instance, uh, by the marketing team on the website, yeah. et cetera. So, um, yeah, I've seen a lot of that. Yeah, even even some interesting things. I, I was telling uh, Jeff the other day that um, 
one of the things that we did on our website, which sounds crazy, was, you know, everybody has a contact us, right? You have a contact us button on your website. You have a contact us section for your website. We all have them. And the way it worked is we'd have people contact us and they would send an email to us and it would go to our inside team or it would go to applications. It wasn't very manageable. So the one day I had an idea, I said, well, based on this simplistic approach, I said, how about I just throw a link up there that says, ask us a question. And it could be anything. It could be, what is it going to rain today? I mean, it doesn't really matter to me. Ask us a question. We put that up on our website and we created it, connected it to a form and almost immediately started seeing a tenfold increase per day of communications coming through that. I mean, it was crazy how fast we started getting questions in. And I think what was interesting is we made it simple. Customers didn't have to drive or drill down. We still have forms like that on our website. If you have an RMA, if you have a service question, service issue, if you need a quote, we still have multiple forms across our website. But in the end, one of our most successful forms is ask us a question. That was going to be my question. Uh, so, <laughs> is, because first off, you know, one you can easily just stop there and say, okay, like okay, that's that's the uh, yeah, that's the lead. We yeah, just it. you know, yeah. pro tip: everybody just change their contact us to ask us a question and uh, make it rain. But but I but, think what's interesting <laughs> here is that if you compare the contact us form that's still there on the site against the ask us a question form, they're the same page. Yes. And yet, the ask us a question form yes. generates so, so much so, more uh, So my question, uh, if I can get to it, uh, I think will let us know if this is, uh, if the there is there. Um, so did you see a decrease in uh, utilization of the other forms um, that were maybe a little bit more directive of the type of question that you might be asking um, because you just maybe made a, a one-stop shop for all questions or uh, has there been a, a just a general a huge lift in in contact as a result you know it's an interesting question i would say that yes some of the other forms dropped off like the quote form isn't used nearly as much as it was because people are just assume go to the ask us a question and just say hey i need a quote on this or i need information on this or it's an applications question so some of the traffic of the other forms may have gone down but I also think people weren't afraid to um, actually just ask the question. Like they didn't feel that they had to, there wasn't a lot of pressure behind it. So I think that also made the engagement higher. And then. So, taking- the, so we, we, we may have lost some on those other pieces, but we've, the, 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 the whole is still greater. Am I getting the right picture? Yeah, 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 for sure. And then even taking it a step further, um, you, you know, to circle back a little bit, Technology is something that I'm obsessed with, I, maybe to a fault. I mean, I, I love technology. I know people in this day and age get worried about, you know, what's listening to what, how's this. In the end, for me personally, my personal feeling is I'm not that exciting. So if, if Alexa wants to listen to us at home, great. But uh, in terms of technology and making my life easier and making other, I, I think you got to embrace it. You got to understand how can it benefit you and you know, maybe we're behind the times, obviously, in the B2B world, but a year and a half ago, we added chat to our website, live chat that goes to our applications team. I mean, you still don't see a ton of sites, I would say, in the B2B world that take advantage of that. But again, we're trying to make it easier for our customers to connect with us. And uh, the interesting thing, and I don't know why it's happened, but in the last three months, our chat, uh, our chat and engagements have gone up triple. And I don't know why. So that's something I got to research. Be interesting to see that. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see where the, uh, 
you know, if there's an increase in a new type of traffic or a new source, hmm. you know, that, that may be driving that. Do we make it? I mean, the one thing we did was we switched from one vendor to a, to a HubSpot chat platform. So we have HubSpot chat built into our website. So part of our whole platform. So everything gets recorded. So we were, we were with an external company. Now we're with this one. Don't know if it's related. Interesting. Are you using any of the AI functionality to route those chats or is it going straight to a rep? So right now it is, but we actually, so for the last four years, all those ask us a questions, all the different service requests, everything that we've been getting from our customers, we've captured into a database. And we're now in the process of sorting through the types of questions that are being asked, trying to understand the common commonalities behind those to build not only a knowledge base, but also to integrate the AI function into chat and drive customers on more of a self-help path, but also allow them at any point to jump out of there and talk to somebody for real. Very cool. And you're uh, piloting some of this uh, with the European counterparts you mentioned. Yes. So uh, this past, within the last six months, we've, uh, I don't know how familiar I was, but but Europe is very, very strict with their, um, they have the GDPR. With, with the information that you can collect, the information, how you can contact customers, it's very, very strict and has to be very followed very carefully. The good thing is with a, a partner like HubSpot, their backend system support that. And we were able to work with our German colleagues to understand their needs from a, from a legal standpoint, as well as the other European countries that have different laws. And uh, we've now brought HubSpot over to our team in, in Europe starting with Germany and a couple other countries. And are you uh, essentially looking to um, to replicate what's um, what's been done in the US or are there any kind of uh, kind of nuances to what you're doing there? Yeah, I think now we're taking more of a crawling approach with them a bit where um, the goal is to capture data to understand what people are asking and to get people responded to more quickly. Where here in the US, you know, we're, we're, we're sprinting all the time and uh, eventually where it gets really interesting and really cool is um, you can start seeing behaviors on your website like you know what customers are viewing this product but not this product and where they're where they're looking at this and again not i don't think it's anything to be afraid of for customers but really what it helps us do is it helps us target our messaging to you more on topics of interest that you're looking for and not waste your time with things that you may have no interest in the past you'd go to a company maybe you get on their mailing list and you're getting an email about widget A, but all you care about is widget D. And you keep getting this noise from all these other products that you really don't care about. And it really frustrates you. So what if you could just get targeted based on things that were of interest to you? You know, I think that that's uh, always been the promise, of course. <laughs> but, uh, you know, frankly, marketers just can't help themselves. Yeah. yeah. Well, really, they'll want to read all of this. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Right. Well, it's one of the 50 emails I got today. I mean, I think we can all look and say of the emails we get on a daily basis, how many are really just a delete and move? Yeah. Yeah. How many offer true value? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to to that end, uh, you also mentioned that you're beginning to go down the road of a customer experience journey. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing there and, and how you're enabling that. Yeah, so we talked about, you know, Fannenberg as a company and, and globally, we've all recognized that we, as a company, we need to get closer to our customers. And I don't think, and I'm not giving away anything there that, in my opinion, that's, that's kind of common sense, right? We all know that we have to get closer to our customers and we have to listen more. And, but it's hard when you have different communication channels, you have different sales channels. I mean, you have, you know, anywhere from your customer could be working with a distributor, a rep, 
direct. I mean, there's a lot of different voices that can engage with that customer. But in the end, we still have to listen to the customer. So for me, I'm currently working on a project that's going to ideally get us closer to the customer, figure out our customer journeys, understand what customers are really looking for from us, and make some decisions on how we respond to that. And even uh, getting out in the field and doing customer workshops and, and going to visit customers and have a conversation and sit down and talk to them. That's pretty interesting. I I, I can't I, I couldn't help but almost um, just take a bit of a leap from what you just said and um, um, uh, and just imagine that that you said that there's it's difficult when you have so many different voices that impact the customer in some ways, so many different sets of ears out there that could potentially be hearing different things. Right. It's a telephone game, right. That you talk that we used to play in school, like where, you know, you send a message and then it kind of changes as it gets to the end end person. And, and I, th- I do think that's a real challenge for, um, uh, for, for marketers that, that are trying to, if you will, in the traditional sense, control a kind of a brand voice or a tone. Mm. Um, it's uh, there's just a lot there's a there's a lot more connectivity with customers than there used to be there and, and a lot uh, and they're interacting with a lot of different aspects of your firm different people etc and it, it's a I think that's just a real core area of struggle yeah I think I think don't would you guys agree but I think the Amazon effect is real even even at the B two B level where customers expect almost instantaneous messaging communication and response. Oh, and it goes well beyond that. I mean, even just uh, some of the episodes of this podcast that we've recorded around the uh, B2Cization uh, as a result of companies like Amazon uh, of the B2B world, you know, certainly it, it is a real thing for sure. You have to step up your game with your customer interactions and listening to your customers. And I think I don't know if it's, I think there's still a lot of companies out there that feel that they know what their customers want and it's a tell, hey, you need this. We, we know you need this. But how many companies look back and say, what do you need? And, and just maybe ask that question. What do you need? And think about it. You know, you're not going to build something for everybody. You're not going to design something for everybody. In the end, you're going to focus on what makes sense for your customers and your goals. But it also can help by just asking that question. Back to the ask us a question, right? You know, ask them a question. I'll be curious uh, to maybe do a follow-up episode with you sometime, John, to kind of once uh, this is a little bit more established and understand how uh, how you're formalizing that customer listening. I think it's an area, um, uh, you know, some there's just a lot of organizations that are, are struggling to understand uh, how best to do. How do I kind of harvest uh, the knowledge that exists in all of my organization's touch points with customers and actually use it to channel a better understanding? Um, so once you crack that nut, we'll come back for episode two. It's a multi-year project. You know, we're, we're, we're beta testing it here in the U.S. And then from there, based on the success and feedback we get, we're going to work on rolling that out to the rest of the world. Um, so it's a learning process for me. I mean, that's what I like about it. It's, it's, it's definitely a learning process. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think I have it figured out and I know that the customer journey is going to be this way or this is what the customer is looking for. And I get thrown a, a, a sideways curve and I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't even think about that. So... Yeah, I think it's 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 we're we're still in the crawling phase of this project, but we're we're starting to to get upright here a little bit. I love those learning moments where it completely changes your perception of what you thought. You know, I think it's instructive too because at least uh, it's a good indication that you're at least being open. Yeah, um, I was gonna say you have to be open to it, right? Yeah. yeah. 
John, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us today. I, I feel like we're just almost a chat just getting started, and here we are at the <laughs> end. But, uh, um, but thanks so much. Uh, I really appreciate the benefit of your experience today. Thanks. Well, I enjoy doing it, and if there's more discussion in the future, I'd love to uh, help you guys out. Wonderful. Us too. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.